Good morning and welcome to the program. There's been some storms around the place, but nothing uh, substantial. But of course, up on the top end, lots of rain, lots of rain right across the top end. But that's the um, time. As I've said, never like February. And uh, this February's just been exactly the same, very humid. I saw a mackerel sky the other morning. The the Queen Mary II is in Sydney Harbour. It might have gone out with the tide this morning, I'm not sure. Also, the Arcadia. Maybe it can't get under the bridge that's moored, parked, I used to... <laughs> Out in the middle of the harbour, lights, uh, and I went past it last night in a ferry and um, uh, just spectacular. And the harbour bridge was done up in red, sort of red stripes uh, right around the outline of uh, the bridge. Just a fantastic thing. Um, Lloyd has said, uh, Ian, I was looking at your Facebook page. Uh, what took my interest is with all the rainfall in the Kimberley and as well all over the rest of the top end, I could contribute with some of my images during and after heavy rainfalls in the Pilbara. Mind you, these were taken from the interior of the leading cab of my loco uh, for one of the mining companies. Great pictures. Have we put those up, have we, Kel? Lloyd's uh, from the cab. We should put them up. Let's put them up. You can go to the, uh, uh, the Facebook page. Um, I'll put them up on Maccas Australia too, Kel. We'll put them up there because that's a good place to... Well, we can leave them up there. They'll stay there for a while. Um, yeah, they're lovely pictures, lovely pictures. Harry says, over the last few weeks, Granny, that's Leslie Smith, has had some lovely trombocino zucchinis, surplus to needs in the garden. She put them out on the road for any takers, passerbys that left coins in the box. Trombocino zucchini, trombocino. That's because they're big, long, probably look like a trombone or something, do they? Trombocino. Trombocino. Um, Granny is supremely humble with the generosity of those who contributed. It's like an honesty box, Kel. And don't we need honesty? Yes. Um, she's forwarded the donations totaling $62 to the Fred Hollows Foundation. Very, very good. Speaking of food, Jono says, Kel, back in 1990 I had a cafe in Queensland, cafe. We were talking about, who was I talking to about taking photos of the food? The bloke who rang from, was it New York? No. Anyway, Jono says... In 1990, no mobiles for selfies then, but the Japanese tourists always had a video camera. Remember those? They would take a video of their food and ask me to take a video of them eating it. So people taking selfies of their food is not new to me, just spread. Says Jono's in Meriwa. Uh, P.S. New to your show, I'm a city slicker, tree changer, even set my alarm on a bloody Sunday to listen to the show. Jono, good on you. Yes, I suppose they have been doing that for forever. It just escapes me. Oh, yes, here's a photo of my... Um... <laughs> Never been tempted. Although sometimes when you get a beautiful sponge cake, it's a thing of beauty, isn't it? So you can't have your cake and eat it too, unfortunately. Um, look, our number this morning is 1300 On the program this morning, I'll take you out to those places with great, lovely names, Jikola and... Uh, Docker River and out there into the Western Desert area. We'll talk about that. And uh, inexplicable things, things that you got now. You've probably seen something. You've probably had something happen to you um, that you, when you try to explain it to somebody else, they just scratch their head and say, oh, geez, uh, Narelle's, um, yeah. But um, they happen. You've probably had those things. But we'll, uh, I'll um, take you out there. Um, 
a few inexplicable things, um, bits about books, Chinese New Year, and you. 1300, give us a ring of rumour. Where are you? 1300 700 Good G'day, this is Macca. Hi, Macca. It's Doug. Uh, I'm calling you from Twofold Bay. Um, we're anchored here on our cruising yacht, Freysen A2. Uh, well, that would be a nice thing, nice place to be. Is it cool there, nice and cool, is it, or humid? Yeah, we've had, had some rain overnight, a bit of thunder. Uh, we've moved across to the south side of the bay to handle the southerly change. We're waiting on weather to go through to Melbourne. Uh, we've been away, or I should say the boat has been away from Melbourne for nine years huh. uh, in, that, in that time. Um, we've been mainly based in New Zealand, in the North Island of New Zealand, and we've spent six seasons in the islands between... Uh, uh, Tonga, Fiji, Vanuatu, and New Caledonia. Dougie, 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 what? That's that's not fair. Um, <laughs> what have you well, been on holidays or working, or what? What's well, the deal, a bit Doug? Of, a bit of both. Um, I, I retired. I was a civil engineer. I retired in two thousand and nine. Uh, we left Melbourne uh, on the boat uh, with my wife Sandra, and uh, we went out to the islands. Uh, via Sydney, our first trip was out to uh, New Caledonia, then on to Vanuatu, and we looped back to Bundaberg that year. The following year, we came down and went back out to the islands and met some New Zealanders, and they said, come to New Zealand. Well, we've never left. We had seven summers in New Zealand, and as I said, six seasons in the islands. The, um, the most important part of our time up there has been our association with Lions Recycle for Sight. We've been fitting reading and distance glasses in the islands on each trip. Um, so we normally fit about 600 pairs in a season. Um, the people that we help are very grateful and they involve us in their family lives. Mm. We've been to many funerals and we've been to many weddings. We've even been to a circumcision party. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so it's been great fun. And uh, the people, particularly in Vanuatu, really need all the help that... Uh, that we can get. There are people up there still living on a dirt floor and cooking on an open fire, and medical attention is, is scant, and uh, they are really doing it they're quite tough, particularly when you know they get a cyclone or something goes through, they have to basically rebuild their houses. So, But the involvement with the glasses has really given us an insight into people's lives in the third world, and it's, um, it's, it's humbling to go and help them. Uh, but, Dougie, what an experience. Now, here you are... Uh at uh, 20 past seven in the morning, you're moored on your... Um, and, and is that where Freysenay was built, uh, down in, uh, you know, off Swansea there in Tassie, or...? No, no. Freysenay 2 um, was actually built in, in Taiwan in 1987. It was launched as Seawolf, and a couple of owners before me renamed the boat Freysenay. Mm. And uh, we've st- and then it became Freysenay 2. That's a little long story, but if it's Freysenay 2 is the boat... It's a Brewer 42. It's designed by an American, Ted Brewer. We've had the boat for 15 years, and as I said, we've been away for, for nine years in the boat. And what's it like living on a boat for nine years? Um, it's good. Um, we depend on each other. We live in a, in a very small space. Uh, I'm very lucky to have such a supportive wife and a great crew member. She does a great job for us. And uh, when I say us, I mean me and the boat. So it's... Um, it's been really great. Uh, I've sailed all my life. I started sailing on, on Port Phillip Bay as a teenager. I sailed at Parkdale Yacht Club and Chelsea Yacht Club. We had racing dinghies. And um, we do meet a lot of uh, a lot of other cruising people. There's a, 
yacht beside us there on their way down to, to Hobart, and there's a yacht just left with the southerly to head north up towards uh, up towards Sydney. So Twofold Bay is sort of a stopping off point for yachts, is it? Yeah, it's 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 quite a it's quite a, a protected harbour, uh, but when the wind changes, you do have to move from one side of the uh, to the other. So, like yesterday with the with the northerly, we're at the northern end of the bay. Today, we've moved over to just near Boydtown, which is the old where the old timber mill is over here at uh, on the southern shore. I always think it's um it's sort of exciting to be on a boat because you know um. You really, uh, I mean, you know, you're always subject to a weather event wherever you are, but on the um, on the uh, water, it becomes more, um, yeah, yeah, more it important, becomes, really, doesn't it? It's very important to get the weather right. The last few years, we've been using a professional weather router to do the weather for us. Uh, it costs us a couple of hundred dollars, but it's money well spent. And he looks very closely at the weather. He's based in Perth, a bloke called Bruce Buckley, mm. and he he does the weather for us. Although we do download what we call grip files onto the computer here on the boat, so we can actually see what's coming for up to five to five days ahead. So things have improved vastly, Magga. Um, weather forecasting is, is quite accurate, and uh, that's exactly why we're sitting here, because as a southerly change, we'll get away tomorrow morning and go across Bass Strait uh, through the oil fields, and we'll have to stop at Refuge Cove for another southerly change, and then we'll make our way up to Melbourne. We should be alongside at Sandringham Yacht Club on Friday. Ah, oh, Doug, what a what a wonderful thing to do. Good on you, mate. Um, keep up the good work. Nice to talk to you. Um, um, yeah, and I'll bump into you sometime around Australia somewhere. I hope. Um, I'll come aboard for a yeah and for a cup of tea. So. Be lovely. We we drink a bit of tea. Thanks very much, Maka. All the best, mate. Good on you, Doug. Thanks, mate. Bye. Bye. Margaret's on Bribie. Morning, Margaret. Good morning, Maka. How you going? I'm fantastic, thank you. That's I was good. just listening to Doug on his yacht and going to the islands and talking about recycle for sight. Yep. I'm one of the volunteers who actually sorts those glasses, and I was well, just absolutely quickly tell quick tell quickly tell people because they will probably may not have been up when Doug rang. Um, you sort uh, the glasses you sort are where from? You and get glasses from all around Australia, and people send them through their optometrist, and they get sent to Bribie Island, uh, not Bribie Island, Caboolture. I go to Caboolture, and we sort them, chuck away the rough, the rough ones, we grade the ones that are usable, and they get sent on containers to third world countries. Last year, about six million pairs of glasses went. Wow. Well, from, Austra- from Australia? Yeah, no, from around the world. From around the world, yeah. yeah. And we never get to hear, really, what happens at the other end, and that was just amazing to hear that guy talk about how happy the people are to get them. I just, uh, yeah, it was very, very nice to hear him say that. Yeah, it was Doug on a yacht. He was in Twofold Bay. He was sailing yes. sailing back down to, where was he heading for, Melbourne? He was heading back down home towards New Zealand and yeah. he spends six months of the year in New Zealand and he goes to the islands the other six months of the year and his main thing he does is help fit these glasses with Recycle for Sight. Yeah, and... Uh, and it's a Lions volunteer program worldwide, and, yeah. And he'd been on Vanuatu and said how, appreci- right. how appreciative yeah, they were of... he uh, did. And you would if you've, you've got you know you've got bad eyes and you get a pair of glasses. That's right, and we get, they, they just go, they open them up over there and they're all graded and so it just needs somebody to see which prescription they need and they look in one of our boxes and they go yes and the people put them on and they go wow I can see 
Margaret, well, it see, it's a great story. There's uh, Doug and, and you, and you both make the story, and that's why I love uh, doing the program on Sunday morning. We learn, uh, we all learn something. Um, well, Marg? I'm just amazed, and I'm on beautiful Bribey Island, and the weather report is it's been atrocious for two days, <laughs> but today it's just absolutely, absolutely. drop-dead beautiful. Yes, you always say that. I know, it's Queensland. <laughs> well, but, but it is, <laughs> and it is. It's, I'm looking at Morton Island and the ocean, oh. and it's like heaven here. How okay? long you... How, you, how long you lived on Bribey, Margaret? Uh, two and a half years. How come? Tell me. How come? Because I retired from up north and I just, I'd always come here in the 60s and I just decided this would be a lovely place to live and here I am. And here you are. Yes. And you're still doing, your, your, have you always done the glasses thing? No, I just joined Lions for, to join to meet people when I came here and I got invited to go to this place at Caboolture, which is connected with the Police Citizens Youth Club and they offer the facilities and we do the sorting. And you're a great little Aussie, Margaret. That's just, yeah, you're getting, you. getting it done. Good on you, doll. Thank you, Macca. <laughs> See ya. Bye. Bye. I'm talking to Ken McGregor. I'm at Nanda Hobbs Gallery, surrounded by art from the Western Desert. Ken's a, an author, philanthropist, an expert on art, all sorts of arts, but especially the Western Desert. Ken, welcome to the program. Thank you. Nice to be here. I think you better start by telling us about the Western Desert. I'm intrigued. Where, where actually is the Western Desert? The Territory? Uh, South Australia? Now, where? The Western Desert really is, I class it from Alice Springs West, so... It's from Alice Springs uh, out to Papunya, Mount Liebig, Kirikura across the border to Western Australia and then down south to Jukala and Warakuna. So that's a large area. There's a lot of different uh, Aboriginal communities in the area and that's, that's where they produce these marvellous works that are hanging on the walls here. And all those names are easy for you to say because you're intimately involved with them. You've been there many times but for the rest of us um, it's like another land almost. Well, it is. I mean, I'm very fortunate. I first went up there in, I think it was 1973, and I sat down in the dry Todd Creek bed um, in Alice Springs and worked with the Namajiras, you know, the sons and that of uh, the original Hermansburg artists, which Hermansburg is probably two hours now because it's a made road all the way. When I first went up there, it was a, it was a dirt track. In fact, it was a dirt road all the way up from Adelaide, Port Augusta, all the way to uh, Alice Springs. In the Western Desert itself, there's, there's some marvellous communities. One is, you know, Uanamu, which is probably the largest community. They've got some, a fabulous art centre there and, you know, doing some really great stuff. And, you know, sadly, a lot of the, the last of the nomads have passed away now, but they're still doing some incredible stuff and there's still a lot of really good artists coming through that art centre. Um, they also look after Nirupi, Papunya Jupi, in, working in Papunya. There are some fabulous artists there. And then you've got Mount Libig, which is a small community further west. Then you've got Kintor and Kirikur across the border in West Australia and the, the well-known Papunya Tula Artist Co-op actually run their, all their artists work out there. So they, they gather up their artists and all the paintings and, that, and then bring them into Alice Springs to shell, sell them in the shop in Alice Springs and also to distribute them around Australia at the galleries. I mean, just intrigued about how those names fall off because I feel it's a, a great gap in my life and probably many Australians because these places are, are sort of unknown to me. I mean, you see them on the map, but uh, they're a wonderful part of Australia. You must feel very privileged. Tell us how this started, your or passion, if you like, with um, Western Desert art. How did that all start? Look, I'm probably, there's not too many people who can actually 
define the day when their life changes. But when I was very young, probably at eight or nine years old, I uh, accidentally threw a ball through the headmaster's window. And, of course, I was, in those days, you put your hand out and you got the strap for doing something like that. Anyway, I was in his office waiting for him, and there's this marvellous painting hanging on the wall, and I was very intrigued with it. I just was fascinated with the, with the qualities of it and also the colours. You were waiting for the headmaster, right? I was waiting for the headmaster, yeah. And anyway, <laughs> That's the worst time in your life. Well, We've all it, been there. It was, but I was, I was waiting for him. And, I was, and he, I was actually, I stood up and I was looking at the painting when he came in. It was only a print. And I read the name, it was Albert Namajira, and he asked me, you know, if I liked the painting, and I said, yes, I'm f- I, I love it, you know, it's great. So my punishment was actually to go to the library and, and, and read a book on Albert Namajira. Now that man, you know, I'll never forget the incident, I can't even remember who the headmaster was, but that changed my life, because several years later, when it went to a tech school, the school trip, and, you know, people might laugh these days, because nowadays kids go to Paris and to, to Berlin and New York. Well, the school trip was um, to Alice Springs, which was just extraordinary for me, because after reading uh, the book on Albert Namajira, and then actually trying to get as much photographs and information together as, as I could about the Aboriginal people in particular, I was fascinated. So I washed cars and mowed lawns for months saved up enough money to go on this school trip and there I was, you know, four years later after that, sitting in, in the creek bed with his descendants. That's what started my whole love affair with, you know, the Aboriginal people, Aboriginal culture and, of course, their art as well. So from there I've organised their exhibitions here in Australia, overseas and written quite a few um, publications on them and I spend a lot of time in the Western Desert. I've been really, really fortunate enough to have been shown by them how to hunt the local bush tucker, you know, parentes, you know, which is a giant lizard, um, you know, gathering nuts and berries and... Uh, Eating grevilleas? Yeah, <laughs> sucking the honey out of off the, off the grevillea flower um, and all that sort of stuff and it's been a wonderful experience and you know, I've always been a person that's not old-fashioned, but I love to tap my foot to the music and hang something on a wall, you know. And uh, But after going into the Western Desert and spending so much time there, I've seen things that my eyes, you know, it, they're hard to believe. And, you know, I have always believed in what my eyes see and what my ears hear. And, but, you know, I, I've got to admit that, uh, that I've seen things which are unexplainable. And my friends out there tell me that it's it's just part of their jukuba and jukuba is, an, is the, basically our word for that's basically probably the dream time you know but their jukula which is their spiritual beliefs it's not a it's not a uh, metaphor for these people it actually exists so I've seen been, been witness to things which I still shake my head today and can't explain it and I try to tell people this and they look at you as though you've got three heads I was going to ask you to try and explain it to us. Well, it's look, I was working with Nata Nungarai and Narapi and Epajimpa, and they were doing these magnificent five-metre paintings under the brilliant sunshine. And for those people that have never really been out in the Western Desert that or in any desert at all, you get these incredible storms build up. But they're localised storms, you know, and some of them might only be you know, half a kilometre wide. And uh, they're violent, and then they come, they drop all the rain, and then they disappear again. The Aboriginal people used to say they would chase the clouds because you know they needed water, needed rain. So they, when they saw the storms, they would chase after them. But anyway, we're working on these massive five-metre paintings, and um, I could see this storm coming to the property, which was about 20 kilometres west of Alice Springs. And um, I wasn't worried; but I was getting a bit frantic that you know if the storm hits, they're going to it's going to wreck their paintings. So I'm saying to them, "Let's get up, and move these paintings, drag them inside." And they're saying, "We are Ninakati um, Jungarai, which means you know it's okay. You just sit down. You know, basically don't just relax, panic. Ken. Yeah, 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 don't panic. You know." 
And uh, anyway, this storm's getting closer and closer. It's coming directly for us. And I'm thinking, no, this is, this is not right. This is, this is not right. Anyway, you know, I don't expect people to believe this, but I saw it. And, and, I, and I still try and every day I still try and, and every day when I talk about it, I still try and convince myself how it happened. But they got their nulla nullas, which was, you know, big, uh, big sticks. And they were sitting down painting and they started to chant and sing songs and point the nulla nullas at the storm and swing their nulla nullas around to the right. And they did this for five minutes, and I'm, I'm thinking, I'm gone. I said, you know, this is not going to happen. Anyway, the storm came to the side of the property. It moved sideways. It went around the 20-acre property, kept going into Alice Springs, and dropped two inches of rain. Now, I just don't know how that happened. And, of course, they're laughing at me and, you know, saying, look, you know, palia, palia, which means it's all good, it's all good. Well, I don't know how it happened. You know, I really don't know how it happened. And, the, you know, I've got quite a few stories like that. There's another time when I was out with Glennis Wilkins, the coordinator of the Mount Libby Art Centre, and we went down to Murunji Rock Hole, which I'm telling you is in the middle of actually nowhere. It's a good four hours south of Mount Libby, and, and that's isolated. And we took about seven Aboriginal elders, artists, women down there to do some painting. And at about two o'clock in the morning, I got up to go to the bathroom, and I just heard this magnificent singing down at the rock hole. And I sat there for about half an hour listening to it, thinking to myself, God, I would have loved to have recorded this. And anyway, eventually I went back to sleep. And in the morning when I woke up again, I went over to Glennis and I gave her a big hug and I said, you're such a darling for taking the old people down there to have a, a sing-song and a corroboree, you know. And, and she said, it wasn't us. And uh, I said, what do you mean it wasn't you? She said, we were sitting here listening to it. Now, for the previous three days, I'd comb the whole escarpment. There was no other people there at all. I raced down to the rock hole. There was no footprints in the sand. There was nothing. There was no evidence of anyone being there at all. And for the next three days, I just I could not believe that it wasn't them that went down there. And then I thought to myself, well, maybe I dreamed it. And then Glenda said, well, you couldn't have dreamed it because we heard it as well. And I said to the old ladies, I said, you know, what's happening? And they said, it's just the people that look after the rock hole singing their stories. It still sends shivers up my spine, and I find it, I still, I even still today question myself if I heard it. But I, mean, I did hear it, you know. G'day, this is Macca. Oh, hello, uh, Macca. It's Christine from Camberwell. Hi, Christine. Hi. Um, that uh, story about the eagle dropping the mullet. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was um, setting up a company in Hong Kong and living at the Grand Hyatt for my son, and I used to swim in their gorgeous pool, which is right behind the harbour on the 11th floor. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, there are black eagles that, uh, that go round and round that harbour and um, I was swimming one morning, and all of a sudden, this eagle drops a fish in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of fish was it? Uh, it was just about eight inches long, uh, just a little, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what, but it had his talon marks in it. I wonder who was more shocked, you or the fish? <laughs> I don't think the fish was in any state to be shocked. <laughs> oh, so he's dead, was he? He was, yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There you go. It's, yeah, um, and Chinese New Year, because um, I, I used to lecture in Chinese, and I used to, used to run the, the Chinese Museum, so we did a lot for Chinese New Year. But Donkey's Ages Ago, I know you you know, with the sort of music thing, Donkey's Ages Ago, when I was uh, lecturing, um, Carol Channing was in town, and um, wow. she asked me to translate Hello, Dolly, into Chinese for her. And I went down and gave it to her, and she said, Oh, no, darling, you've got to sing it to me. <laughs> so I sang it to her. 
Wow, and she wanted she wanted she had to do that, did she? Or? Well, she well what she did was she always um, sang in the language, and she was moving on to Singapore, so she wanted to sing it in Chinese. Wow, gee, that, and is that difficult? I'm, well, I, I assume oh, it no. is. If it's not your 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 first language, I suppose anything is. Oh well, that's right. But uh, it just, it actually works quite well in Chinese. It goes Go on, why yes. why why why. Keep going. This is Christine in Campbell. That's fantastic, Christine. You should have been Carol Channing's understudy. You should have gone on the road with her. (laughs) Hardly. (laughs) But we are going to the Campbell Corral. All of us, we're going to be singing in China next month. Oh, are you really? Well, give yeah. us. Give, um, and what's the what's the occasion? Oh well, it's just there's a there's a chap who was associated with the um, Melbourne uh, Melbourne Symphony Orchestra, I think, who organises these um, musical tours to China, and uh, he asked the Campbell Chorale if we'd like to. Um, to be to go on one, and uh, and uh, we said we would. We've got a little episode of uh, Spies Like Us about Chinese New Year, and and it's sort of set in Hong Kong. But Lee was uh, Lee Kelly, my producer, was downtown the other day, and she said there was a she was in one of the stores, and there was a lady there, and she was paying somebody, and she had red because it was all red envelopes, and she had cash in it and money, and um, <laughs> that. New no- new notes. They're all new notes. They had to be new notes or something like that. Was that that a tradition for of Chinese New Year? Oh yes, you always give you give red packets to children and uh, anyone who's not married. And uh, generally, the uh, the notes yes, they have to be new. But generally, um, they you pair them too. It's it's better luck if um, you know you've got two twenty dollars than than one. <laughs> so and and how long since you've moved back to Australia? You were... Oh well, I was only in. I only lived at the Grand Hyatt for a year. Uh-huh. Um, actually, before that, I was your language person at the ABC, your ghost person. Oh wow! Yeah, I did you... that for five years after leaving the Chinese Museum. You should have been our music correspondent too. You've got a lovely voice, and uh... oh come on, <laughs> uh... Christine, good on you, and uh, thanks for that. That's a lovely story, lovely story, and a lovely song. Oh look, thanks so much. Uh, okay, good on you. Yeah, love your show. Thank bye, you, Maka. bye. G'day, Maka. This is Lorraine. G'day, Lorraine. Uh, I'm calling you today from uh, Sargaminda, and um, my husband, Rod, and I are out here manning a mobile dental truck. Ouch. Uh, <laughs> no, I, uh, you know, I only say that because we were talking about maths last week, and I said to the lady who was a maths teacher, I said, um, <coughs> look, you are... Uh, because um, she was talking up maths, and we all love maths, love in inverted commas. Oh, yeah. yeah, and I said the only two words that ever get mentioned in the same um, in the same uh, breath are uh, maths and dentists. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that because um, we actually live on the Sunshine Coast in Karoi and, and work there, but um, 
we're out here helping a guy who owns the, the truck, uh, who lives in Sydney and works there as well. But he comes out once a month, and um, we saw a little article or a, a story on him on the news from the ABC of oh, before Christmas, and gave him a call and said, "Do you want a hand?" It's something we'd always thought about doing. We're in our the, the latter years of our career, if you'd like to say, and. Uh, uh, he said, oh, yeah, I'd love to. He said, but, uh, oh, gee, it's pretty tough out there, you know. And he said, oh, yeah, well, we've travelled out here a lot over the years. We used to go across the Simpson Desert and da-da-da-da-da. And uh, he said, oh, yeah, but look, the difficulty is getting a dental assistant. He said, it's okay, I married one, and that's me. Uh, <laughs> so um, so here we are. And uh, we've been in Kanamala, and uh, we're now in Thargaminda, and we're off to Quilpy next week. So you but, take, the, the van goes round to these places, and what, you just park in the street and say, mobile dentist, come and... Yes, more or less. Um, <laughs> the local Shire Council helps a lot with getting the message out before. We give them all the dates ahead of time, and... Um, you know, they, they promote it around the community. I mean, in Sargaminda, I think there's a population of 200. We've probably seen half of them so far. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> a lot of the kids yesterday that were off school on a Saturday, of course. But um, uh, as I was saying, when I was booking the caravan parks, because we're in our own caravan and we've got a truck driver takes the truck ahead of us. And um, everyone was so excited that we were coming. I mean, it doesn't happen, you know, <laughs> based on normal reaction to I'm a dentist. Is, yeah. uh, oh, I'm sorry, no offence. But I hate dentists. That's the classic yeah. reaction, usually. But um, out here, it's been wonderful, actually. It's quite heartwarming. Well, um, yeah, and they're probably pleased to see you, too. I mean, obviously, they are. Yeah, yeah. We have we have a lot of people who just want to get a checkup. Young fella yesterday hasn't been to a dentist since he was in primary school. Isn't that amazing? You know, um, amazingly, he had fabulous teeth. So there you go. Um Maybe diet's an issue out, out here that, you know, things are with the water or something. But um, anyway, but we've also seen a few disasters and helped a few people out of pain, which, you know, I and, forget. Yeah. And I wouldn't know. I'd just, it'd just be a feeling that the uh, Australia's dental health would be pretty poor for lots of reasons because um, dentists are feared, just like maths, uh, maths, um, maths uh, subjects. <laughs> um, but, but, but also uh, expense. Um, and all that sort of stuff. So you charge them, or what's the... What's, well, what? There's a bit of both. We have, I mean, there's a few um, dental schemes around, particularly for children. There's, there's, a, there's a, you know, scheme which is it's means-tested, and we, we cover that. Um, the other dentist who owns the truck does um, Queensland Health patients, if you like, you know, pension cards, et cetera, et cetera. We're not registered at this stage. This is our first trip out here. Um, so we, we only do private industry, but, you know, it's at a reasonable cost. It's at a reduced cost to what yeah. they would pay in the city. And you take into account the, the time and distance and money that it costs to get to a major city. Um, it's, it's enormous, really. Um, yeah. So the other, the other thing about, uh, uh, Dennis, when you've got a crook tooth and you put it off and you put it off and you put it off and then you go to the dentist and you get it fixed, it's such a relief. It's just a wonderful feeling, Lorraine. Um, right. You're right. It's, it's it. It really is. Uh, it's it's the best. You know. You say, oh, why did I wait so long? I know. And sadly, of course, when people are in remote areas, and I won't go into the ins and outs of dentistry, but when they're in remote areas, they put it off and put it off because they have no option. And unfortunately, they lose teeth that might otherwise have been saved had yeah. they been see a dentist earlier. So. Um, you know, particularly with, with young children, it's, it's a shame when you, you see children who, you know, perhaps, you know, there's a school dentist and there's a, a government dentist, but 
there's a there's a dental truck out here, as a matter of fact, run by the government. But at this stage, they can't find a dentist to come out and do it. So the yeah. wor- the worst thing about going to the dentist for me is that the fact that you can't talk to them because they talk to you and they like, yak away to me, and I'm and I'm going and I I want to I want to I want to say lost. <laughs> but you've got a mouthful of hardware, you know, or something, yeah. or something stuck down your throat. So, yeah, yeah anyway. you've got to get the sign language going. I like the dentist, actually. I don't mind going to the dentist at all. I, I think yeah. it's all right. But um, there well, you go. Well, you know, that's right. Most people, as my husband says, you know, people say, oh, but the dentist, you know, why don't I like doing this? Oh, well, it hurts. Because, no, 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 you came no. in with pain, you leave out of pain, you know, where's yeah, the good place? Exactly. Lorraine, where are you heading to? You're in Thargaminda now? Yeah, we w- are. We, we, we think we're the only visitor in Thargaminda at the moment. It's oh. been stinking hot out here, as you would Oh, yeah, I'll say. And, uh, the poor beggars, uh, we had people busy yesterday morning, we had a full morning, and then everyone had to leave at one o'clock to go and, you know, because they were getting a load of hay in, in local farmers and graziers, and... Um, you know, it's dry, dry, go, dry, 40 degrees all the time. Yeah. Go in, l- ladies and gentlemen, if you're around Thargo, g- go in and talk to Lorraine and Rod there. Have a cup of tea with them and maybe get your, <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. Where are you heading <laughs> for, Lorraine, quick? We, we're going to Quilpie, Quilpie on Tuesday. Oh, and, uh, Yeah, so um, that'll be fun. I'd love uh, to go to Quilpie. Have a look. At Quilpie, they've got those, I think they've got merino sheep made out of uh, corrugated iron and sandstone <laughs> or something, that bloke. Yes, one. yes. We, they have actually. We went to Quilpie a couple of years ago on our way to the Big Red Bash, and um, Lorraine, yeah, it's a great town. But listen, I know you're in a hurry. Got to so. go. Got ten seconds, but look, Lovely. keep in touch. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. G'day, this is Macca. Oh, hi, Macca. It's Jane calling from Noosa. Hi, Jane. What a lovely How spot. Yeah, it's beautiful, Macca. I have been listening to you for 14 years and every Sunday I listen to people saying how much they love your show and every Sunday I think, oh, I wonder if I should ever tell him how I started to listen to him because I I just thought, oh, no, not Macca. My parents used to listen to you for years. And you were forced, you were chained in a room and forced to listen to Macca. (laughs) I would bring Every every Sunday I would ring my mum and dad, which was my routine, and dad would answer, I can't talk or listen to Macca, and I think, oh, God, why are you listening to him for? And then I'd, mum would answer the phone and say, don't speak, your father's listening to Macca, we can't talk. And it used to drive me insane. I'd think, why the hell are they listening to well, that yes, guy? Yes, Exactly. And it used to go for hours. Yeah, and so, it still does. <laughs> I know, I know. And anyway, my mum suddenly died of a heart attack and um, my elder brother used to live with my parents and a month after mum died, he died of a heart attack. And he oh, used yeah. to listen to you as well because when mum and dad wouldn't come to the phone, I'd say, well, can I speak to David? And they'd say, no, speak, he's listening speak, to Macca. Yeah, can I speak to the dog? Anyway, <laughs> Anyone. No, Candy's listening to Macca too. <laughs> Anyway, so um, and then when Dad, Dad and I spent lovely times together, and I would come up to visit, and he, we would listen to you, and I'd, I'd suffer it, Mac. I have to tell you, I was a worker, and I'd think, oh no, no, not again. And then Dad died, and then I thought, you know, I was so lonely on a Sunday because I missed that. That was my routine, so I started listening to you. And I'd cry because I'd think of mum and dad and David. And then all of a sudden I heard the story about the guy who was going through the desert with his horses. And something happened in my head and I thought, oh, that's so interesting. So now the last 14 years, oh, I must tell you, my husband didn't like you either. (laughs) So every time I tried to listen, he'd say, you're not listening to that guy Macker again, are you? Oh, dear. 
So when we divorced and um, <laughs> I had, was free, I started listening to you with um, just all by myself. And I I now know why they people absolutely love the program. <laughs> I just, just so look forward to Sundays and no one, I never answer the phone now before 10 o'clock on a Sunday and now I irritate all my friends. Jane, uh, that many people have told me that the program reduces them to tears. Um, oh, <laughs> But I do love it, Macca, and you take me all over the world. And when yeah. I was sick, I just thought, oh, mm. my goodness me, it was my – I understand now, but it's taken me, what, nearly 25 years to understand. Well, I, I met – yeah, the other day I was, I was out and I, I met this bloke who I hadn't seen for ages and I said, where do you live now? He says, oh, we live over the, 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 the divide there. And I said uh, – he said um, – because I hadn't seen him for many years. I used to, mm. used to go to school with him and he said um, – he said, no. He said, oh, I said, oh, out there. I said, he said, no, yeah, we don't get your program. And I, oh. and I said, oh. He said, so, I said, so you can't hear it, eh? He said, oh, no, we hear it. We just don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was me for a couple of years, Macca. Sounds you know like what? more than a couple of years, Janie. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I get it now, Macca. I'm a major fan, let uh, me tell you. All on. right. Yeah, well, I see. I love. I love Noosa. I just. I. I haven't been there many times, but every time I go, and our friend Dawny Fraser lives up there somewhere. Yes. yes. Well, I didn't know Noosa until um, I, all of a sudden one day I was came up here for a holiday and I was sitting on a beach thinking, "What am I doing with my life?" And mm. I thought I could live here, and I sold my house and moved. There you go, Jane. I'll I'll bump you in Noosa sometime. We'll, <laughs> You're we'll have, very welcome. We'll have a, we'll have a cup of coffee. I've got your Absolutely. number. I know where you live. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime, Mac. Well, you know I'll be listening, so I'll know you're up here. All right. Good on you. Right. Take care and thank you for <laughs> connecting me with my mum and dad in heaven and my brother. Thanks, Jane. Good on All you. Right. Bye. Take care, Mac. Bye bye. When I was uh, on the road a little while ago, I met Viv. From uh, from Esperance, come and meet her. It's Viv from Esperance. Yes. How are you, Vivi? I'm very well, thanks, Mac. You're travelling to see the country music. I am. Yes, yes. And how'd it go? How's it been? Loving it. Some of the poetry and the uh, artists has been brilliant. Really enjoyed it. It's my first time here, so I'm really having a great time. I had my girlfriend from Canada came over and her friend, and uh, they came over specially. So we met up and had a few days together here and been really enjoying it, having lots of laughs. And it's the people. <laughs> it oh, is, absolutely. It's you, actually. No, it's, <laughs> it's you and Cal. <laughs> Tell me, how's, um, how's things in Esperance? Well, I left there a week and a half ago. Been travelling the, the rivers, making sure I stay on, on some of the rivers. Stayed at Ballaranald, a beautiful caravan park on the Murrumbidgee, and then stayed at Forbes and parks on the way up and seen the Lachlan and seen the Murray. Tell me about life in Esperance. Well, I'm a volunteer ambulance officer in Esperance, so hi to all the volley ambulance officers in Esperance. They all do a great job, of course. We've got a lot of volleys in Esperance, uh, up to 80. Western Australia relies heavily on volunteer ambulance officers. They and the fires in 15 were... Yeah, the fires. Yeah, my my farm, I had Xanadu, which backed onto the Cape Grand Beach. Beautiful property. I was there for 33 years, and we used to either do the horse rides on the beach. 
and 2015 big fire went through and I stayed there and fought the fire and my son rang me and said mum you've got to get out and um, so we had fire coming in from three sides and I was able to get out along the beach. I managed to save the main property but part of the rest of the property all went so that ended up being sold fire sale in 2016 and so now I'm uh, in my motorhome and travelling around. And it's Viv isn't it? It's Viv yes. Good on you Viv, nice to meet you. Lovely to meet you. Thanks for coming to our show. Thank you very much. Good on you.